How you doing today, Brian? I'm doing well. How about you, Nick? Not doing too bad. We just got finished doing an interview with uh, Lisa Ryan. Yeah, it's great talking with someone about, you know, not just talent acquisition, but really what does the engagement of your human resources at your organization mean? What's it all about? And how do you keep people engaged so that your employee experience is actually your central objective to how you operate your business? So that was that was a refreshing message for me to hear. Yeah, no, it was all really great. And, and it's great to hear that, you know, to get into employee engagement, you need absolutely zero dollars and almost zero time. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Like a lot of uh, initiatives, you can spend boatloads of money on it, but the principles are are pretty straightforward. And I love how Lisa frames things with some very simple and easy to remember acronyms uh, that in and of themselves, I think are powerful and uh, worth listening to today's program for. All right. With that, let's just uh, get on with the program. Awesome. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Lead.exe. I'm Brian Comerford in Denver, Colorado. And I'm Rick Lozano in Washington, D.C. And we're thrilled to be joined today by Lisa Ryan. She's the Chief Appreciation Strategist for Gratigy. Lisa, thanks for joining us and taking some time with us today. Yeah, and I should say Lisa Ryan, Cleveland, Ohio. Oh, there you go. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Well, you know, and today it seems like uh, work from home is such a uh, ubiquitous um, work routine for a lot of folks that, uh, ironically, I've found that working with people who are not in my same location has become as easy for me. And actually, I've, I've had some great relationship building with people I've never physically been in the same room with before. I don't, I don't know if that's something that you're seeing uh, as well. Oh, absolutely. Well, and it's nice to have the connections with Zoom and to be, uh, well, to be on Zoom calls to a point, but when you're doing like nine of them in one day, then I'm sorry, seeing people's faces gets a little bit old. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to agree with you on the that. Phone? <laughs> no. That's my first thing when I see a Zoom meeting and it's like a 15 minute Zoom meeting. I'm like, can't that just be a phone call? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, I, I don't want to get us too far off the trail. You giving a little bit of your background, but I do want to follow up with that and just say one thing that I have noticed is, uh, you know, people have kind of gotten over the stigma of being afraid to turn on their cameras, which I think has improved a lot of what I have perceived as engagement and uh, really, you know, all of those uh, nonverbal uh, cues that we're accustomed to with communication, you know, now you're actually looking at someone that typically maybe you, you've been in phone conferences, uh, you know, previously, and, and you didn't have that same degree of connection. Yeah. And I've been on Zoom calls looking like I would not have gone out in public. You, know, it's like, you guys are seeing me like all made up and hair done and everything. But a lot of times, it's like, you know what? It's Zoom. I'm working from home. I don't feel like putting on anything else today. And you're just going to have to deal with it. So it's, it's been good because there's a lot of other people who are doing the exact same thing. Exactly. Wasn't that guy, was, was it ABC News anchor or something like that, where he was wearing a blazer on the top, but he had <laughs> running shorts on and he didn't know that like the shorts were in the picture frame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Usually what happens at some point is my cat Tinkerbell jumps up on my lap or, you know, appears in the, uh, appears in the video somewhere. And I've just gotten to the point that I really think that people like seeing other people's pets, you know, it's kind of endearing and Tinkerbell's just so darn cute that, you know, how can you not? <laughs> I've a cat in a video. <laughs> I've seen lots of pets uh, intrude on videos recently, even, even network news. So yeah, it's. Uh, well, it's when you're crazy. talking, they think that they're talking that you're talking to them, so they have to be right up there because otherwise, there's nobody else in the room who's she talking to. That's right. That's right. <laughs> crazy human. Well, in fairness, neither Nick or I uh, combed our hair before the interview today. So. <laughs> You're always guilty of that, Brian. So. That's right. That's true. That's true. I would comb it if I could, but I can't even grow it anymore. There you go. <laughs> well, Lisa, thanks again for joining us today. Let's talk a little bit about your background. If you could share uh, kind of where you're coming from and, and you know, 
I mean, gratitude, what a great name. I, we need to hear a little bit about where that came from too, please. Sure. Um, my background, I have more than 25 years in sales. I'm still in sales, but officially about 25 years. I spent the first part of my career as an executive recruiter. So I'm actually one of the few people on the planet who can say they sold their mother. Now, mom actually hated that job. But I said, mother, you've got to stay there at least 90 days because I have a guarantee and I can't afford to give back the commission I made on you. So, you know, mom was fine. She was there for two and a half years. From there, I spent 13 years in industrial sales. So I sold exciting products like electrical cord and cable into the maintenance environment. And then I spent seven years in the welding industry. And yes, I do weld. And um, from there, yeah, then I, and it's awesome. So fun. And then I spent the last seven years of my career in healthcare. And then when my lucrative medical sales position was eliminated via group conference call with 12 of us getting canned at the same time, I basically said that no company will ever do that to me again. And on October 12, 2010, is where gratitude was when gratitude was born. And I look back on that now going, huh, 2010, probably not the best year to go into business for yourself. (laughs) (laughs) But 10 years later, I've lived to tell about it. Wow. Well, that's awesome. So, you know, apart from uh, feeling like you're not going to be let go in that way again, what's what's sort of the philosophy that you imbued in Gratitude as you got it started up? Well, you know, I always wanted to be a speaker, but I didn't quite know what I was supposed to speak about. So I was in sales, but I really did. That's not what I wanted to talk about. I had done some network marketing, but again, not really my thing to talk about. And then I started keeping a gratitude journal with some of my friends. It was as a result of a four day um, conference that we went to seminar, included a fire walk. It was a pretty powerful experience. And as we were driving home from Chicago, we knew that unless we took action, that everything would go back to where it was originally, you know, before the conference. And we didn't want that to happen again. So that's what we did. We opened up a Facebook thread and every day we shared with each other, you know, people we met and things we did and and things we learned. And then we decided, one of my friends said, why don't we write down three things that we're grateful for? And it was that practice that really literally changed every area of my life and gave me a new direction because I knew that that was the message I was supposed to bring to the world. And I started just talking about gratitude in 2010, 2009, 2010, when I first started speaking. And I realized that corporate America really wasn't ready for the soft skill of appreciation. So I just simply changed the language to employee engagement. Exact same content, but put into a context that, you know, people would value because they saw more business in it. Now with my programs, I'm probably evenly split 50-50 between my gratitude programs and my employee engagement programs. One, one being more personal, the other one being more business related. Oh, that's great. Well, despite what you said about, you know, starting up a business in 2010 may not have been, you know, the best in terms of timing. I would think that, you know, when when we're at these ebbs and flows and certainly we're we're at a big ebb right now. We are. I mean, if you can uh, if you can find a concept that has a hook that, you know, resonates with people, uh, maybe you're not, uh, you know, earning at your highest earning potential at that point. But to me, that's uh, that's a formula for success. I think if you, if you can really be delivering, you know, something of value during a time where folks are just struggling uh, to get through their day to day, that's got to really help supercharge your success later when things are rocking and rolling like we've seen. Yeah, and well, and it's a message that people can relate to, and particularly now when we're going through everything that has to do with the pandemic and business and personal, and people are working from homes, and now their houses are daycare and recreation centers and schools and everything else, and then they still have to work. And just being able to find the good 
in whatever is going on and start to program your mind to look for it, it really does help. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, you keep hearing the references to a new normal. I mean, everything that you just described there, it's, it's, it really is part of the new normal. I don't know anyone right now who, if they're fortunate enough to be counting their blessings and still be employed, uh, you know, they're, they're wrestling with all those things. And then of course there are folks who are wrestling with the same and may not have an income right now. Exactly. Well, and there's businesses, what I keep telling my clients and audiences, whether I'm doing virtual programs or talking to them on the phone, because goodness goodness knows I'm not doing live events right now, but it's like what businesses are doing right now is setting the precedent for how their employees and how their customers look for them in the, to them in the future. So if they are totally ignoring it, if they're only focusing on business, if they're not checking in regularly to say, how are you? How are you doing through all of this and connecting on that personal level? When we get through this, those employees are going to be like, you know what? I am out of here. I'm going to go to a company that cares. So taking the extra time to we, we were talking uh, you know, before the interview as far as just the connection on uh, you know, seeing people's faces on programs like Zoom. You know, having fun meetings, getting people together instead of just kind of leaving everybody to their own devices. These are the times that really count right now. Absolutely. I, I, I can see that Nick's going to jump in with a question there, but I want to ask you first a little bit more about appreciation. And, you know, just yesterday I was having a conversation with a, a corporate operations director and, you know, it was refreshing to hear the phrase employee experience, right? We hear a lot of CX, a lot of, you know, client experience, um, but this whole orientation was around employee experience. If our employees aren't happy, we're not going to be providing good customer service. We're not going to be winning new accounts, you know, all of those things, and we're not going to have positive employee retention. So I know that uh, as uh, the, the chief appreciation strategist, you've got to have some things to say about what an appreciation culture looks like as well. Well, when you look at your employees as your number one customer, employees should rank way above everybody. They should rank above the leadership team of the company. They should rank above the, the, the customers because the better you are taking care of your employees, the better they're going to take care of your customers. Because like I, I say all the time, it's like you can feel culture. You can walk into a restaurant, you can walk into a medical facility, and you know if employees like their job there. And so if you're setting that expectation where you're having somebody come in for interviews, you're looking to hire new people to bring them on board, some of these people are going to walk in and go, there is no way I'm working here. They don't know what it is, but they know that there's something because you can, you can feel that culture. And you can feel what employees truly feel appreciated, valued, recognized. And employees will actually take less money to work at a job that they like, that they feel respected, that they would do anything for their boss than going somewhere being treated like crap and then, you know, I'm out of here. No matter how much money they're making, they're only going to take it for so long. I think one of the the best things I've been doing lately is really talking about the Amazon differential. Because we all know that if Amazon is in our area, they are paying those people really good money, $15, $17 an hour, no experience. You work double, you work these different shifts, you're getting double overtime, so 40 bucks an hour. You think that that would keep people, and yet Amazon's turnover is 100.6%. Holy cow. So if it was yeah. just about the money people, everybody would be working for Amazon. <laughs> no, and I've, I've heard that before about Amazon. Um, I've talked to a couple of people who are actually engineers there before and heard that, you know, their culture is they're, they're part of that lean Six Sigma, uh, lean manufacturing, and they try to reduce cost and iterate and iterate and iterate. And eventually it's kind of like consulting where people are happy with it. And then after a while, they kind of get, burns out with the travel and, and the cost cutting. Um, but the one question I wanted to ask you is about employee engagement, right? I always feel like a lot of times when you hear companies that have missions or visions, right? They always talk about hitting some 
quarterly goal or being the best product in the world. And you never hear much about, you know, like we value our employees, our employees are our customer and in turn they do X, Y, Z. Um, so how important is employee engagement just to building a sustainable company? Cause I think I heard a statistic the other day is that, you know, the average lifespan of a company now is only like 20 or 30 years. If you look at the, the different lists that come out every year as far as the best places to work, those are the companies that are focusing on employees and employee engagement. And that's where you're seeing engagement levels 70, 80, 90%. Um, it, because they realize that that is an important part of connection. That is an, import, uh, an important part of keeping people. Because even though we're going through a difficult time right now as far as business, there's still a labor shortage. There's still, you know, to find an employee who's just your solid rock star who has been with you forever, knows where all the skeletons are, but also they're good at their craft, they're good at their job, and then one day they just get tired of never hearing thank you from you, never feeling appreciated, and you know sometimes it's your competitor down the street that's wooing them to come over, or maybe it's somebody in a completely different industry that they're leaving you to go somewhere else just because they you know, wanna change. Whereas if they felt that loyalty, that commitment to you, there's a lot better chance that they will stay with you. So engagement, you know, I go through uh, my thanks process, which basically I'm an acronym girl. So quickly, the, the T is building that foundation of trust. The H is helping your employees to be better tomorrow than they are today, investing in training, basically. The A is to acknowledge, applaud, and appreciate them. N is navigating that work-life integration, which is so important right now because there is no differentiation between our work and our home life right now. We're on 24-7. The K is getting to know your employees you know, not just what from a business standpoint, but what do you know about them personally? Because that's showing that you care. And then the S is how do you serve a greater mission? So you can have all of the mission, vision, value statements that you want. That you had some high-priced consultant come in and, <laughs> co- you know, come up with for you. But if I walk through your shop, I walk through your plant and say, hey, I see your vision statement is on the wall. What do you think? If your employees either don't know what the heck you're talking about or they're laughing at you, <laughs> yeah, that's not it. Um, it it's, it's not the right thing. We get buy-in because we have our employees serving a greater mission and feeling a part of something that's bigger than they are. That's powerful. I, I love the acronym that you just walked us through. You know, and I, the last point that you were touching on there, the serving a greater mission, you know, that's something that I think it's just intrinsic in human behavior, right? We, we all want to uh, feel like we've got purpose, right? We, we all want to feel some degree of significance, not only in ourselves, but in those activities that we're engaged in. Yeah. And if that's a missing component, then yeah, you can, you can have, all the fancy acronyms and you know, all the uh, all all the ancillary value product, you know, uh, in in your company, and it's not it's going to feel inauthentic to people. You know, ultimately, yeah. it's it's not going to be a qualifier in, in helping them feel like they're serving a greater purpose. Yeah, and even the little things for right now. I mean, who would have thought three months ago that the local beer manufacturer here would be manufacturing hand sanitizers? Who would have thought that the clothing manufacturers would be making masks? You know, the employees that are working there, number one, they showed that they were able to pivot, to turn on a dime and go to a completely different product line successfully, and they are saving lives. Of course, the beer manufacturers were just making lives a lot better. (laughs) (laughs) We can have the best of both worlds. We can have clean hands and beer. (laughs) <laughs> at the same time <laughs> yeah, hopefully I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what that's a winning combination in my book <laughs> on any day <laughs> so when we're talking about employee engagement right some organizations will tell you well 
that costs money and I don't see the return and investment on that. Um, and I know I have heard that before um, in the past from, from different organizations. And that's something that I just don't understand when people say that. Um, so what is your approach when, when you see or hear somebody say something like that? Oh my goodness. If, if your audience could just hear my eyes rolling right now, <laughs> because that drives me crazy. I know that after I do a program, if I have somebody come up to me at the end of that program and go, Oh my God, my company really needs you. You need to come in. I know that there is not a chance at all that I'm actually going to go speak to that company because it's the companies that are already doing things well and want to be better are the ones that, that hire me, that bring me in, that, you know, that invest in their employees. But let me ask you, Nick and Brian, how much exactly does saying thank you cost? It costs absolutely zero. Yeah. And how much yep. time does it take to utter those two words? I don't know. It didn't even take you a second. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> so if we're talking about the fact that just by catching people in the act of doing things well, thanking them and being specific, instead of saying, hey, great, you know, thanks. Nick's like, I have no idea what she's thanking me for. And she's never thanked me before. So she must want something. Or I might say, you know, Nick, I really appreciate the fact that you stayed 45 minutes after work yesterday to help out that customer. You know, she was happy with it. I know you had other plans, but I really appreciate the fact that you went above and beyond. Now, Nick not only knows that I'm paying attention to him, but he also feels valued. So next time a customer a customer needs help after hours, he is much more likely to hang around than saying, you know what, I did that before. Nobody even said a word boo to me to acknowledge me that I was there. I am out of here. I got plans. See you later. Bye. You know, um, like you, I have a, a, a gratitude practice. And it's something that I, I do every day and I've done it every day for decades, honestly. Uh, and like you, I've got, you know, I, I'm always thankful for at least three things and, yeah. and I, I choose to focus on it. And that for me has created a habitual tendency that as I've, you know, advanced through leadership ranks over the years, uh, it has become a natural extension of my own leadership style. And something that, you know, I have observed is really important to people is, is not only receiving that appreciation, but when you can do it in a peer context. And it's not to, you know, stir the pot with our competitive nature of, you know, human behavior, but it's to ensure that recognition is placed among the entire workforce uh, when, you know, you are truly appreciative about some of those things. So I'm kind of curious on your, your perspective on that as well. Absolutely. Peer-to-peer uh, -peer recognition, encouraging that. And I talk about the whole cycle because peer-to-peer -peer is awesome. You know, boss to subordinate is awesome. But you know what? Subordinate to boss is also awesome. <laughs> so if I go to my boss, you know, Brian, and I say, you know, Brian, I just love working for you. You are one of my favorite bosses. You know, I, I just wanted to let you know that two things can happen. Either Brian's like, hey, that's really cool. I'm feeling the love here. Or, you know, but what if my coworkers are going, oh, there's Lisa sucking up again. You know, <laughs> you know it, it's, it's like we create this culture where expressing appreciation at, at, at any level is acceptable. But when it's done peer to peer, you also build in this additional level of accountability. Because if I'm thanking Nick and I'm thanking Brian all the time, you know, and Joe is just sloughing off over there, he's going to say, how come she never thanks me? And maybe that, that starts to say, hey, maybe if I pitch in more often, maybe if I do this because people want to be recognized for what they're doing. And when they're seeing that positive affirmation to others, they want a piece of that too. So you also have a little bit more trust built in. You have that accountability that also happens as a result of those affirmations. That's great. You know, I, in, in one of the companies uh, that I've been a part of, we had developed something that was also, uh, you know, a, a very public facing uh, sort of peer recognition like that, where there's, you know, you can, you can grant someone some points, 
right? You can, you can publicly uh, thank them and call out some of the behavioral traits that they had exhibited that elicited your appreciation. And, you know, you could specify a number of points that people would receive. And then at the end of each quarter, the end of each year, you know, that was redeemable for, for some kind of goodie, you know, whether it was a, a, a gift card or, you know, apply it towards something, you know. Um, so talk to me a little bit about that, if you could, you know, I'm, I'm curious, is, is that kind of incentivizing? Uh, is it beneficial? Is it harmful to a culture? What's, what's your perspective on that? You know, it, it depends. Um, it depends on how it's done, because too many companies place a lot of importance on stuff. If we just give our employees enough stuff, they'll hang out. So if we give them, you know, this catalog that they can choose from, blah, 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 but you're still not treating them well, you know, that, that's not an incentive. So it's the sincerity behind it. It's the personalization. Uh, a lot of times in my programs and in my books, I've talked about the all about me sheet. So this is really coming in and getting to know your employees. You know, what is their favorite $10 gift card? What's their favorite restaurant? What's their favorite candy bar? So that way, sometimes we think that it has to be about the money. So, you know, you give somebody a $500 bonus and then everybody's, either that employee's like, I got $750 last time. What the company's going under? What's up with that? Or the rest of the employees are like, hey, I did just as much work as Joe did. How come he got the money and I didn't? Versus if Joe does something that he knocks it out of the park and I know that he's a huge Panera fan and I give him a $10 gift card to Panera and just said, dude, thank you so much. That, that really helped. Nobody's going to, you know, diss Joe for getting 10 bucks to his favorite restaurant. And it's also that I'm not making the, the decision that, oh, everybody must like this particular type of coffee. So no matter what, I'm just going to be doling out these gift cards like they're candy. <laughs> it's finding out what do people want. Uh, a couple of years ago, I had a woman come up to me in one of my programs and said, you know, well, Engineers Week is coming up. What can I get everybody? And I'm like, um, nothing. There's not <laughs> one thing that you can get everybody and make them happy. So what they ended up doing was putting together these little grab bags, these little, you know, gift bags with, you know, movie tickets or tennis balls or golf balls or, you know, gift cards or something that was specific to what that person wanted didn't take a lot of money, you know, and that's, that's what we keep thinking. It's little things done sincerely at the right time when those things are done, those make the biggest difference. And a lot of times too, when it's just money, I give somebody a crisp hundred dollar bill. Okay. That's really cool for about 10 minutes until I go pay my electric bill with it. You know, Hey, what'd you do with that money? I don't know. I just paid some bills with it. So it's the personalization that lets your employees know that you're paying attention and that you care enough to get them something that they specifically like. No, I, I, I really like that. Um, it kind of goes back to something that I always talk with Brian. So when I, uh, when I had first come out of school, I worked in culinary arts for a long time and I was a professional chef and, um, one of my chefs before told me when I got promoted to walk my shift and I was like, Oh, what do you mean? Just walk around here and see if everything's working. Like people are working. He's like, no, he's like, I want you to walk around here every day. Talk to everybody that you work with, get to know them, get to know their families, get to know their hobbies, get to know them as people. Um, Cause he's like, if you can build a personal connection with them and do things for them because they find that you're being genuine, um, he just said, you know, like the leadership traits and qualities will just come along easier because you're building leadership's all about building relationships. And that's basically what I heard, heard you say through that whole, whole spiel. Truer words have never been spoken. That was that right there was the best leadership training that one can get. And the fact that you went around and did it and learned the lesson. And the thing is that it's stuck with you. Uh, I had one of my uh, audience members share a story. It was like at the beginning of his career, he's like 15, 16 years old, worked at a movie theater, okay? Like we, we all did those types of jobs back in the day. But every single day when he got there, his boss 
boss thanked him for coming to work. And every single day as he punched out, his boss thanked him for the day. And it was just a simple thing, but it was every single day. And this guy's in his 50s now. So you think decades later, Mm -hmm. he still remembers that boss thanking him for coming in and for leaving. Again, maybe a total of four seconds in that connection with people and, and thanking them sincerely. Because and, and he was serious. He wasn't just saying, hey, thanks. Thanks for showing up. <laughs> no, that does not work. <laughs> and I feel like that's great proof right there. Like you, you don't need to be Google or some of these big tech companies who give away nap rooms and private catered meals um, and all this stuff to, to have employees that are highly engaged and enjoy your product. So for a long time, I think I remember it was Anderson Windows um, would always be one of the top companies to work for. And most people had never heard of them. It was just a company that made windows, but it was just because their employee culture was so great and their engagement with their employees was so good that they, people just never left. And mm-hmm. I, I feel like you, you know, like what I asked you earlier is like, people always say, well, what's the return on investment with employee engagement? I'm like, that's it right there. This is that people stay. <laughs> like, right. You know, it's expensive to train people. Um, that's right. So I, exactly. And I, I don't know, like when you're out there consulting with companies or you're talking about that um, th- and that conversation comes up, do you ever have the conversation of what happens if the employee stays and they're not engaged? I right. mean, cause there's plenty of people who will just come in and collect a paycheck and do the bare minimum just cause mm-hmm. that's what they want to do. Right. Well, and the numbers show it. I mean, if you go and you look at the research that backs up employee engagement, you know, companies that have engaged employees are 120% more profitable. They have 42% fewer safety incidents. Uh, You know, if if you have turnover, it can go anywhere from uh, 20% of that employee's salary to four times that employee's salary for higher level positions to bring someone else in. So if you just put the, a pen to paper and the cost of turnover that is your organization and, and look at how many employees are with you January 1st, look at how many employees are with you. Those, of those, let's say 100 employees, 100 employees are with me January 1st. On December 31st, what, how many of those employees are still left? Well, we have 75% of those employees still, or 75 of those employees still left. Okay. And then we can look at, okay, well, that can be a 25% turnover for some industries, horrible for some industries, really good. But why did they leave? So if five of those people left because they retired or moved out of state, you know, now we see, okay, now we're down to 20%. So we can start to get an idea of what that turnover is. And then, you know, how much does it cost to bring in a new person? Now you have 25 people leaving. It costs you X amount of dollars every time you hire somebody. Um, and a lot of the research that I've seen for people is that you know, you're spending about $6,000 before that new employee even walks through the door. So if they come in and their first day and you're having them sit in the basement filling out forms, nobody talks to them, nobody even realized that they were going to be there, they're thinking, did I make the right decision? And then at lunch that day, they ghost you or they, they're there for a week and then just never show up again. And that $6,000 just went out the door aside from all the, the cost now of bringing in the next person. So expensive, it, it, turnover is extremely expensive. And if people would just take the time to try some of these, what would it feel like if you just, you know, kept you, uh, had some one-on-one conversations with your employees, you caught them in the act of doing things well, you spent the time to get to know them. Well, Lisa, why should I get to know these people? They're not going to be here that long anyway. Well, what if because you got to know them and build a relationship with them that they decided to stay? So none of this works. It looks great on paper, but unless you're willing to do the work that goes behind it to make the effort, then it's not going to work. It only works if you work it. So a topic that I hear you touching on right now is one that's near and dear to me and Nick, which is emotional intelligence. And part of what I hear you describing is emotional intelligence at an organizational level, right? The self-awareness that 
maybe the exodus that we're seeing in this revolving door of uh, human resources that are not wanting to stay at the organization. Maybe it's something about us, not them. Right. right? Absolutely. And so, so what is part of that recognition? What's the turning point that, that you see that allows for someone like yourself to come in and really help put together a program that facilitates some of that guidance? Well, number one, there has to be a, it has to start with upper management, with the leadership of the organization, because if the leadership of the organization believes that engagement is an HR thing, it's not going to work. It really had, because the leadership of the organization sets the tone for the rest of the culture, and it also takes the commitment from them for it to work. And your company culture did not happen overnight. It's not going to change overnight. Mm -hmm. People think that there's this immediate gratification. Well, we did an employee survey, and then eight months later, they're finally getting around to sharing the results and taking some action. By that time, employees are (laughs) like, why should I waste my breath with another engagement survey? So it's, it's seeing action, it's taking action, and it's being committed to it for the long term. Um, in my programs, you know, I give lots and lots of actionable takeaways, ideas that they can use. And I also say, you might be walking out of here with 22 different things that you want to implement. Choose one. Choose one that you are going to implement no matter what it takes, no matter how long it takes to do it. And then when you get really good at that, look at the next one and, and, and make the commitment to it. Because it, it happens all too often that, you know, managers or leaders will go to conferences, they'll go to seminars, they'll come back with 82 items that they want done yesterday. Uh, they don't work within the first three days of implementation, so they go, oh, that didn't work. And it's just another flavor of the week. You know, this, this takes time. Um, just like when I was telling you about my thanks process, building trust your employees do not trust you uh, at, to make these changes because they've seen it before. Oh, here we go again. Unless they're actually take, seeing some action where, you know, oh, yeah, Harry gave us this really great idea. This, you know, Harry saved us $10,000 on this project last week. You know, now people are saying, number one, Harry feels good because he's a contributor. But everybody else is saying, wow. He got recognized. I'm going to get recognized too. So now it, it behooves me to share my ideas because management is acting on what we're saying. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, the, the variety and volume of empty initiatives that organizations seem to feel the need to be pumping mm-hmm. continually into their culture. I mean, I guess it, it feels good to have lots of lists. Uh, But unless you're actually knocking things off the list and and it's not just checking the box, it's actually measuring, you know, what was the intended outcomes behind this and have we actually accomplished those outcomes? Um, You know, I come from an agile development background. And so to me, that idea of going through iterative cycles, it it makes it much easier to take these bite-sized chunks where you can actually have a clear understanding of, of what are the results that we're driving for. And you don't have to get to the top of the mountain after the first 10 steps, right? There's, there can be these mini milestones that you're achieving along the way. Right. Um, from, from some of my own experience, when, when you're able to demonstrate that feedback right into your culture relatively quickly, then people are able to see the value in the exercises that you have them undertaking versus, you know, postering up a massive strategy that makes people feel overwhelmed because they're already coming from a place where chances are if if they're struggling with their employee engagement to begin with, having massive goals that make people feel like, well, this is awesome. I'm signing up for a whole bunch more overwork, (laughs) right? It's, It's not one of those things that helps elevate the culture to feeling like, you know, you're appreciated. Right. And when you're asking employees, uh, you know, their thoughts, their feelings for their suggestions, your only response is thank you for sharing. No matter what they come, they say, this is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I can't believe we're doing this again. You know, they're sharing something that they don't like. They don't like your brand new shiny project that you're all proud of, but they're giving you honest feedback because you ask them for it. It's, you know, take whatever they say 
and just in a very much number one poker face, we mastered the poker face, <laughs> don't eye roll or anything. And then it's thank you for sharing. And then consider that feedback. You know, is there a morsel of truth to that? Or is it truly a bad day for that employee? Uh, and in most cases, you're going to find there's a morsel of truth that if you just get out of your own ego, out of your own way, and face that, you know, this is what's happening in the real world and not your little section of it. And if you want to start connecting with your employees, it's building that trust and letting them know that that is safe for them to share with you exactly what they see going on. Again, I'm hearing the theme of self-awareness, right? So if you've got <laughs> someone who's in a leadership role and they're undertaking an engagement with Lisa Ryan so that, you know, we're, we're going to do some things to, to elevate what our uh, employee engagement looks like. Do you have an acronym for, for that type of role? I mean, what's the, uh, what's the starting point for someone that, you know, as, as you're sitting down for an initial conversation, it's, it's pretty clear that they need some guidance in even being able to look in the mirror or, or have a recognition of some of their own uh, responses to right. things that may be contributing to the problem. Right. And, and, you know, and that's a, such a good point because I have worked with organizations. I am not necessarily a, an executive coach. I do do some coaching, but it's not my strong point. And if I see someone uh, or I'm working with someone that just has that wall up, they think they want to change, but I know that from an emotional intelligence standpoint that they are just not having it then I have a referral to um, somebody that can help them much better than I do. Because if they're not willing to do the work, if they're not willing to really see things and be okay from a self-aware standpoint, then they're going to be throwing a whole lot of money at consulting for something that they're not going to implement. And that's a waste of money. Mm -hmm. it, they, it starts mm -hmm. when I do my, uh, when I do any of my programs, whether it be, my thanks program or my show program, which is more about gratitude, it always starts with um, the self. It always starts with, um, you know, looking for changing your perspective about things. My show talk, just so you know, the S is for self. So how does gratitude change you? The H is the health benefits. O is your relationship with others. And then W is either wealth or the workplace. And, and in the workplace, that's the exact correct order. Because as you start to see the world from a positive standpoint and wanting to make positive changes and even make that in yourself, then your health gets better. You have less stress. You're sleeping less often. You're sleeping better. You know, you're having fewer physical ailments, all of those things. So your health gets better. Now that translates to your relationships um, with others. So maybe that's your spouse. Maybe that's your kids. Maybe that's the other significant people in your life. So you have a happier home life. And now we bring that person into the workplace they are much more likely to be able to deal with the business issues after they have addressed all of those other issues themselves personally. Oh, that's great. Well, I, I, I love your acronyms. <laughs> I think yeah. it's the way you my know. mind works. Okay. Hey, us being IT guys, I said, make words out of it. <laughs> us being IT guys, we love our acronyms, anyways. <laughs> that's right. That's right. No, but it's you know it is meaningful when you're able to uh, you know couch a lot of those principles in something that's very easy to remember like that. So you know, yep. I, I like the way that you've you structured it. So another, another question that comes to mind for me is, you know, as I look through the roster of, you know, many of the clients that you've worked with, and there's a lot, <laughs> you know, there's, I mean, it's interesting what a uh, widespread there is between some of the types of organizations. So I'm seeing folks who are, you know, in the, in the big five uh, consulting arena, all the way down to uh, hospice organizations. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's pretty fascinating to me. You know, those are, those are, those have got to be sort of uh, on one level, radically different demands, but on another, there has to be something that's sort of universal that, you know, that, that plays regardless of the, the organizational size or type. Is that? 
Am, yeah, am I off really base is. on that? Yeah, it, it really is a universal principle. Now, in my business uh, for the last several years, um, I have been really focusing on uh, manufacturing and skilled trade associations. So I like to say if the collar's blue, they're my people. <laughs> I, just, I just think that that's a, it's an area where, you know, and again, they get it. You think that it's not going to be a market that they're going to um, realize the value of human connection, but they get it. But I also do a lot of work, like you said, with long-term care and financial services and, and uh, you know, Fortune 500 really large companies going in there. But it really comes down to that basic human connection. And my programs, particularly when we start with that foundation of a gratitude strategy or gratitude that, and people start to see the benefits for themselves in their home life, then it just makes it easier to translate that to the workplace. So although in an ideal perfect world, my message does resonate to, with everybody, I've just really noticed that the the, the people that, that call me in, they have that that foundational you know need to just have that connection. And when you look at all of the research behind gratitude, when you look at the research behind employee engagement, these are not soft skills. There's nothing soft about them. I like to call them essential skills <laughs> because that's what you need. I, I only laugh because yeah. that's exactly how <laughs> I refer to it. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Completely essential, in, yep. in my opinion. Absolutely. I, at least I know Brian and I, we, we'd stop saying emotional intelligence and all those are soft skills. It's just things that, that leaders need. And at least for us being technologists, um, I realized a few years ago that having those soft skills are, are essential it was more important for me to develop those further than it was my technical skills. Um, you know, my technical skills are great. You know, I'm not telling that people should drop them and leave them off in a bucket, but for me to advance and make myself a better leader, I just realized right away that those were the things that I was, I was going to have to pick up, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and gratitude and the self-awareness is, is one of, one of the things that's really interesting to me. I had, you know, flirted with, I'm, I'm a daily journaler. I journal every day. Um, and I did gratitude for, for a few months, just every day waking up and writing down just really simple three things I was grateful for, like, like you had said. And, um, I think that's a great way for somebody just to get, get into it, um, without it feeling, you know, like you got to do it in the workplace first. Right. Right. And, and that's the thing. And it, and a gratitude practice, I write down five every day, Um, And a lot of times if I'm doing it in the morning, I'll be grateful in advance. You know, I'm so grateful I rock the program today. So that way it's sending this positive expectation. But the other cool thing about it is I tell my audiences is to, you know, to start where you are. Because maybe right now, particularly with the whole pandemic and everything, I mean, people are, are tired, they're frustrated, they're, you know, maybe suffering financially. Okay, so maybe there's one thing that you can find to be grateful for. Okay, I'm really grateful that they didn't turn off my hot water and I could take a shower today. Okay, (laughs) start there. Because when you can find that one thing, then it's easier to find the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. But that is probably the simplest practice of anything to get started for any level of employee engagement. We start with ourselves and that gratitude practice. I also recommend of doing it with a journal or paper without dates on it. Because mm-hmm. too often times what happens is you'll get a journal that has dates in it and then you're traveling or something happens, you don't write in it for three or four days. And then you either have to think back of what happened on those three or four days so you can fill in the blanks. And then you say, well, screw it. I'm, not, I'm, I'm never gonna catch up with this and you let it be. Versus if you just have some kind of book or diary or, or paper that doesn't have dates on it, you know, you forgive yourself, you move on, you forget a couple days. You know, I have been journaling, same thing, every single day or not every day. I'll, I'll talk about that. My goal is to journal every day since 2009. I've been doing this for 11 years now. And sometimes with my travel schedule, sometimes when life gets in the way, I get away from it. And life doesn't work as well 
it'll be like, wow, is Mercury in retrograde or whatever that thing is. I don't even know what that means, but generally things go bad. Somebody's going to say, oh, Mercury must be in retrograde. Right. <laughs> I think about that guy. No, I got away from my gratitude. I got to get back. And the second I get back to writing down that, to journaling again, things start to almost immediately improve. And it really does. Both of you, I am sure, if they would have wired our brain before we started journaling and now after journaling for decades, in your case, Brian, your brain is wired differently. You know, as a speaker, I used to joke about the fact that when bad things happen, you know, nothing bad ever happens to a speaker. We just get new material. <laughs> but now... It, it's one of the first reactions that I have when something bad happens is, okay, what, what can I find? What's one thing I can find about good that's good about this? And I know at some point I'm going to laugh about this because pain plus time equals humor. So why not find something to laugh about it now? So you just, it, it helps you to change your perspective. Oh, it really does. I love that formula. I've never heard that before. Oh. I'm, I'm, I'm borrowing that. Very true, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Well, in a gratitude practice, I mean, what's the worst that can happen, right? I mean, it's going to set you up for a positive perspective, despite the challenges that you might be going through. And the fact is, life is full of challenges. They're, they're coming your way, one way or another, right? So. Well, and what it does when you have that, because people will say, well, do I have to write it down? It's like, well, yeah, number one, because you're, you're using so many more senses and that you're feeling the pen and you're seeing the words and you're hearing the words. But the other thing that you're doing is now you have a journal. And you can see the ebbs and flows in your life because sometimes I wake up and it's like, the only thing I got a right to be grateful for is the fact that, you know, the sun's shining in Cleveland. Okay, let's start there. You know, because sometimes that just happens. But you just, you know, it just kind of shows you when life is going really good, when life is going really bad, and you go back to the, this too shall pass. If it's going really good, this too shall pass. If it's going really bad, this too shall pass. We always have to be focusing on what's good now, because no matter what's happening, it'll change. Well, I, I think that's the mindset that you really cultivate when you have a routine like that, right? I mean, I think the thing that's astonishing is the more frequently you find yourself in a practice of being grateful the more things there are to be grateful for, right? And it's actually harder to shorten the list and keep it contained to maybe only three, <laughs> right? right? It's like, oh, I got three easily, you know, and, uh, and that can be on a bad day. Um, mm -hmm. But your mindset makes that transition into, you know, uh, I, I think a greater recognition. It's just like it becomes part of your, your muscle memory. Yeah. And, and, and Nick knows this about me. I'm a, I'm a meditator. And one of the meditation practices, uh, I don't do it every day, but you know, one that I do routinely is called my tree. You may have heard of it. It's, it's, it's where you, you start, uh, really in sort of a, a very self-reflective space and you give thanks for things that are directly related to yourself, your, your personal life, but then you take it out another level. And now you give thanks for things that are maybe in your household. And then you take it out a level. Now you give thanks for things that are in your neighborhood. And then you take it out into your subdivision and out into your, you know, uh, your municipality and out into your state and out into your country and until you're encapsulating the entire world. And that way there's, uh, you know, always a positive reflection that allows you to have a, a greater view than just yourself, but you also have a clear understanding of how all these things are interconnected in terms of relationship. Yeah. It's a great practice. Yeah, Brian, I always like to equate that to like when people get a car, when you do the grateful, you know, journal, it's hard to look for things you're grateful for, but it's just like when you get a car, right? You get a new car. Um, like, let's just say it's a Mercedes. You're like, I never see a Mercedes on the road. That's, that's black. Then all of a sudden you buy one and then you see them everywhere. <laughs> um, right. That's the way I always equate it with a grateful journal. When you, when you do that, it's like in the beginning, it's difficult, but after a while you just start to notice things without even actually writing them down. Uh, you, you notice them more as they happen instead of when you're thinking about doing it. Um, and that's just yeah. my two cents on that. But. No, that's a great point. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, and, and the inverse is true with that mindset, right? Those those who choose to see things negatively, right? Then they're they're just baking that into their self awareness, their perception, and you know, and you know who those people are. They're, it's you see them coming, right? It's like pig pen in peanuts, right? It's like this <laughs> cloud of chaos swirling around them. You know, yeah. and as they come close, it's, uh, what's the term that, you know, they're like energy vampires, right? It's like, mm -hmm. oh my goodness, they're, I'm, I, I will be lucky if there's one positive thing that this person says in the right. next five minutes, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I think there is, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of benefit that comes from actually taking the time to conscientiously, you know, perform a, a routine practice like that. Yep. So I've got I've got one more question for you. I know we're getting up on time here, but I, I do want to ask. You know, I've had um, some some tremendous successes with other leadership partners in my career, and and some that were not as successful. And particularly in terms of building a team, right, and recruiting talent. And uh, you heard Nick talk about it a little bit before, where you know, he has a personal objective to continue to round out a lot of those essential skills, right? That, that at a certain point, those things became more important to him than just focusing on his technical practice. So, you know, I've, I've led a lot of technical teams and, and part of what I've found over time is that hiring for people who are a good fit within the team and they may not actually be the strongest in terms of their skill set, Right. But those things can be trained into. And it's it, I've found it to be harder to find someone who actually has the personality fit, the the culture fit, you know, that there's there's just a lot more work and there's a lot more chaos that can result from introducing someone like that into a team. I'm just curious on your perspective. Is that uh, is that a, a perspective you share? Do you have a particular philosophy on what's a what's a good approach to hire? Yeah, I'm all about hiring for cultural fit, Hi, um, hiring for somebody that's going to be, uh, that's going to bring good energy, that has the desire to work, that is passionate, has a good reason why they want to join the firm. Because you can be, have the person whose resume, like they are, holy cow, they are absolutely perfect. They cross all the uh, T's, they dot all the I's, and then you bring this person in, they're just a jerk, man, and everybody hates them. And, um, and, and but there, we all, we've all seen it. I know that I've seen it where you have the golden child that no matter what this <laughs> idiot does, you know, it's like, oh, they can do no wrong. Right. <laughs> and, that, and that toxic person starts causing people to leave. And like I asked my audiences, when that negative, toxic, horrible person starts causing people to leave, who leaves? Your best employees or your worst employees? Right. So yeah. <laughs> you can't afford to have somebody. Meanwhile, maybe you have somebody that doesn't have the exact education. They don't have the exact skill level, but they, they, they have the ability and they have the desire that's going to be a good fit and you take the time, number one, they're not bringing a whole lot of baggage with them, but mm -hmm. they're a better fit for just the harmony of the company, the harmony of, of working together and building that team. And you'll have a much more loyal, dedicated employee if you're bringing that person up through the ranks. So I'm, I'm about culture first uh, experience next. I, I feel so validated hearing that. Thank you. <laughs> you are very welcome. <laughs> well, and I think there's another component to that, right? Which is, uh, you know, at what point do you, uh, you know, cut loose someone who's clearly toxic, right? It's uh, wow, this person looked great on paper. They interviewed well. Mm -hmm. And now that they're in the team, maybe we're already past our 90 days. So it's not quite as easy to say, hey, this is, you know, we're working towards a termination here. But when you're able to identify this is not helping us. And, right. I, and I am starting to see, you know, the erosion of morale for some of our best people. Then, um, you know, to me, it's it's one of those things where, you know, you need to have decisive action at that yep. point. It's Absolutely. Time to move on. Yeah, I mean, hire more slowly, fire more quickly. That's the key. And nobody likes firing anybody. Even back in the day when Trump was doing the, the, um, apprentice, the apprentice, 
he really didn't <laughs> like firing people. Nobody does because you're not, you know, not only is it difficult for you to do, but you're not just impacting that person. You are literally removing food from the mouths of their children. Yeah. Okay. But on the other hand, every single time that you fired that person, now you've given them the opportunity to find out what their next is. Because Absolutely. maybe that was the wake-up call that they needed. Maybe now they can go and pursue their passion. Maybe now they can finally do something and find the right organization for them. And you know what? And if they get stuck in the muck and they can't get out of it and their life is horrible, then it's not your problem. It's theirs. And that person needs the personal accountability to figure it out and move on. Ooh, did I just say that out loud? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that was that was important sentiment, in my and it's something that leaders need to hear. You know, I mm -hmm. think it's uh, it it is a trigger point for a lot of people. It doesn't feel good. I mean, if it did feel good, you know, <laughs> you know, maybe you need to move into like you know. Uh, a collections role or something. <laughs> you know? it, I mean, it didn't feel good when my position was eliminated. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't necessarily a firing. I was one of the top reps, you know, it was a market thing that happened, but you know, to do it by, um, uh, you know, to, to do it by group conference call. Okay. Not good. No, thank you. No, we appreciate all the effort that you're doing. But if that had not happened, I would not have my business. I would not be doing what I'm doing. And when, you know, I was in medical sales, I, it was a pretty lucrative position. I made a lot of money in that. And I thought that, oh, I can never live on less money than that. This is, I need to make six figures because that's just what I've been doing. And I starved for the first couple of years in my business, absolutely starved. And I was never happier. And when my husband, I thought he would be like, oh, girlfriend, you are going back to work because we need the cash. It's that whole happy <laughs> wife, happy life thing where he has been my biggest cheerleader because he just sees that I love what I do and I'm passionate and I'm good at it. And like I said, 10 years later, I have a really nice business. But people would say, oh, that was such a, you know, that was a blessing in disguise when you got canned like that. I'm like, oh, honey, there was no disguise. You know? <laughs> that's great it was a blessing so that brings us to our um, last question we have for you is uh is there a book or a piece of media or something that's had a big impact on you at all you know what i have my top books and i know they're going to be a little cliche but they really are mine my number one book the book that has ever been written is think and grow rich by napoleon hill I read that book uh, at least once a year, and I have done so since I was introduced to it when I was 23 years old. Um, the Magic of Thinking Big by David Schwartz was another one that you know just expanded my thinking. Uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Of course, it's just you know of just making those connections. Um, and then the probably the one that people aren't as familiar with is a book called Excuse Me, Your Life is Waiting by Lynn Grabhorn. And that is really um, focusing on the power of feelings and the power of not only visualizing things from an affirmation, I can create it standpoint, but getting into what that actually feels like when you're going to, uh, when you get that goal. And, and feeling that in advance. So um, those are, those would by far be my top, my top reading recommendations. <laughs> <laughs> I really like those. I like, I, I'm surprised at that How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. What's that book from like the 30s or the 20s? It was, uh, yeah, um, Think and Grow Rich was published in 1937. Yeah. I believe How to Win Friends was around that time, 39 maybe, somewhere right in there. But they're, and they're just classics. You yeah. just read them and it just makes sense. You know, it's like, yep. yeah. <laughs> so if people are looking for you, uh, where, where can they find you? Um, I, my website is lisaryanspeaks.com. And if you go to my website, there's actually, you can sign up for Gratitude Thought of the Week, which is a short inspirational message. It comes out every Thursday. 
Um, it takes less than two minutes to read, so it's not another newsletter. <laughs> <laughs> and it's actually written in the moment. Like I usually wake up on Thursday or Wednesday and say, okay, what am I gonna write about on Thursday? And my subscribers, it's come out every week since 2011. My subscribers have seen me find gratitude when my dad had a stroke and my great niece was born with cancer and my great niece and nephew were born premature and, you know, all of moving my dad into assisted living and, you know, just the real life as it happens. And yet in those stories, be able to find gratitude. And they're just these little reminders. Um, I'm also all over social media, LinkedIn, um, Facebook, I have a YouTube channel that has a couple hundred videos on it with my gratitude. Yeah, some some guy that plays with like Japanese toys had gratitude, and he calls it gratitude. So I don't know where that came from, but YouTube, I am my gratitude. <laughs> YouTube can be a very interesting place. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> Well, that's all very powerful, and as has been uh, your gift to us being on the show today. So thank you so much for taking the time. This is, uh, I know, a topic that is uh, near and dear to both me and Nick. So thank you for sharing your insights and, and uh, your wisdom with us today. You're very welcome. Yes, thank you. Thank you.